um, I'm me and that's the way it is. So um, I don't have any more to say that uh, if you have any formal complaints, see your pastor. Um, but I'm sure it'll all work out. Uh, really love that. I'm going to release you so you can sit down and enjoy the service. They do a great job, don't they? I mean, fantastic. Beautiful voice. Wow. Reminds me of me when I get into that place. I mean, no, beautiful, really lovely. But, uh, you know, one of the great things, you know, and I also would respect the time of where we're at and what, what's happening. It's a great time of year. This, like I have a favorite day of the year, and the favorite day for me is always the 1st of September. Like something, it's new, you're out of that winter, it's like, and this year was really a terrible day. It was rainy and overcast. But irrespective of the circumstance, it was still a great day. Why? Because in my head, the 1st of September is a great day because it's the beginning of something new. And December is fantastic. It's not a favorite day. It's a favorite month. I love it. Sorry, I wind up a little bit. If Ward didn't prepare you for that. And I always love the introduction. Thank you, Ward. And as Ward says, Pastor, Pastor Ward, sorry, it is Pastor Ward, but I know him as Wardy, my little buddy. No. And Nicole, they're beautiful people. And I want us to pray for them in just a moment because I think that's a really important thing for us as a church, not just to, you know, acknowledge them, but one of the most powerful things we need to constantly do is keep our pastors in prayer, in which we do for our movement, uh, Pastor Phil and Chris, but, and our pastors, but to me, always in our local church to keep them in prayer. But in saying all that, you know, just that whole concept of Christmas is like expectation. I mean, how is it, how's your year been traveling, everybody? Been fantastic. It's been an incredible year. Not much response there. You know, it's, uh, you know, we, we have levels and degrees of Wow, what a year. And other times like, yeah, 2016. You know, we're always moving on. But the reality is, and I honestly believe in what this message today is simply this, is to, again, crown the year. And, it's, and if you read that verse, and we'll get there in just a moment in Psalm 65, it says, you crown the year. That is, the Lord will crown the year. We wear the crown, but he's the one who gives the crown. But it's he who actually empowers us to actually outwork that. And so often we in life, we take it upon ourselves sometimes to crown our own life. And we know just in purely relationships in life is that, you know, we, you, know you meet some people. There's no one in the church like this. It's other churches, not this church. But there are people sometimes that you meet who are like, hi, how are you? And all they do is just talk about themselves for the next 30 minutes. And all you're trying to do after the first five, how can I extract myself from this conversation? (laughs) Why? Because they haven't even asked, who are you? You know, I mean, there are people like that, but not in this church. But the reality is that in in that place is that God crowns us. It's not upon what we do. It's He touches our life. But the goodness which comes out of that will be left up to us as God intends to but we must take responsibility of how that outworks in our own personal life. So in saying that, I'd love us to stand, and Pastor Ward, Nick, just come out here. And as I said, like, I've known these guys for a, a few years. And in, in doing that, I think, you know, they have been faithful in to building the house. They have a great family, lovely couple. And, 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 you know, you're not nice people. I hate the word nice. You're great people. Nice is dedicated to those people who are just nice people. But you're not nice people. You're great people. But I want us to, to pray, and I want us to, as a church, to pray for them where they're at, for their family and their future, and really to believe that, that this year, again, the Lord, He wants to crown this year, as well as the coming years, 
with His goodness upon your life. So why don't you join with me in just a moment as I pray. Father, I thank you for such a, a great man and woman of God. Lord, in, in their friendship, in their years of service, but Lord, just their commitment to you. And Lord, they have traveled through some challenging moments, yet they still stand. And Lord, I pray today that in Jesus' mighty name, that the, your goodness, your abundance will flow into their life, into their family, into this house. For what you anoint, you start anointing, as Psalm 133 says. For God anoints the head. And Father, I pray that, Lord, that anointing, which is poured out upon the head as it is illustrated to us, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together. It is like the oil poured upon the head. That, Father, I pray that every thought, every word, every action, every part of their life and ministry into this church and this community will see the goodness and the greatness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love my buddies, love my buddies in the ministry. But it's good being here, and I always love the introductions too because they always sound a lot bigger and better than they really are. And I'm watching that clock. Whoa, that clock's moving rapidly. Can someone stop it for a moment? Psalm 65, let's go there. Verse 9, it says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide uh, their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle in, in furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. Psalm 65, verse 11. You crown, you crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. Yours, His. He is a giver to us. And the reality is we always need to see, irrespective of what has taken place in our life, is that, again, God wants the very best for us, irrespective of 2015 and what it has produced or what you have walked through. God is still in the business of wanting to put His goodness and His abundance upon your life, irrespective of what has happened. It's the mindset in which we hold and the position in which we believe that allows God to move forward. But in saying that, and I'm going to fast track this a little bit, is that you have to understand that, again, and put it into the Australian culture, let's talk about, you know, I mean, the men here will understand what I'm saying. There was a term used and there was a, a, a glass which was used when you were having a, a cold beer at the hotel and it was a pony. You would have a pony. And back then it was five ounces, about 100 mils. It was not much. And then you would have a midi, which is about 150 to 175 mils. And, and then you'd have a schooner, about 300 mils. And then it continue up to the pint and then to the jug. Just for the men's reference, just point. This time of year, it's a warm day. Always just, you know, just throwing in there just a nice, soothing beer. Just Some of you have wandered off. Come back, please. What's my point there? My point's this, is that, again, what is poured into it is determined upon the vessel or what is able to hold it. And I think in life so often that God is pouring out His abundance and His goodness upon our life, that it's being poured out is that we're receiving it, but unfortunately, we're only a pony. We're in maybe a midi, and on a good day, a schooner. We can only hold so much, you see, and we start to measure the goodness and the abundance of God in our life on the basis of what has been poured into, and it's not that God has stopped pouring. He is always wanting to pour. The reality is we have not allowed ourselves to become bigger. 
And I want us to see this as we move in there. Again, God crowns our year this year. It hasn't finished. We've still got three weeks. But to me, if you can get a simple revelation to understand that God wants to continue to pour, but it's determined upon us of how big we are. What about Isaiah 54 verse 2? Clap at the end. We haven't got time to clap. Sorry, we'll get back to that. I'm moving 13 minutes and 38 seconds. Oh, 37. Whoa, 36. It keeps going down. What's going on there? Who is this guy? Don't worry, I'm me. Isaiah 54 verse 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Do I really have to? Stretch your curtains wide. Ouch! The stretch. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For I will spread out to the right and to the left. Love that scripture. That scripture was birthed really in Pastor Phil, the, the founder of our movement. And that was the scripture which has released a church, has released a movement. And the basis of it is not just spreading out, but the enlargement. Enlarge. And so often we lose sight of that we have to become larger people. I love what Dale Carnegie says. He says this, that the way forward in life is by, by becoming bigger people, embracing. I love that, embracing. It's not something in our nature. We need to embrace it. We need to allow it to be formed and shaped in our life. Embracing bigness as a way of life. It's not an occasion. It's a way of life, a lifestyle. I love that. You know, imagine and when Pastor Ward stands up here and he says, church, you know, what a great year, and we've heard Pastor Greg, and we've had our challenge, but next year is going to be the greatest year again. But he's been saying that for how many flipping years? I mean, you know, I hear Pastor Phil in our own church like, what, you know, what a year, but next year is going to be the greatest. You might go, but you keep saying that all the time. Well, how about if you'd like this? Pastor Ward stands up in church and goes, you know what? Last year was a shocker, but let me tell you, 2016, wow, it's going to be, that's a shocker. It's going to be the worst year of your flipping life. How would you like that on a Sunday? If he preached that message straight away, guess who turns up next week? Reluctantly, Nicole. Anybody else? Zero. Why? Because the church is a place of bringing hope and looking to an outcome that, hey, God is in the business of bringing all we have to do is be in the position of being able to contain what he brings. Capacity. Moving very fast through this. And, you know, I've looked at the word bigness, and you, you can hear, you know, those words enlarge. And, and I just mentioned it there that I believe that, you know, the word bigger is a good word because it, it's something we see we need to get larger. But the word capacity is a far greater word. I love that. You know, the, the open... Bible says this, the, the definition of, of being bigger is someone who's able to embrace the capacity of the possibility. I love that. The possibility, it's not, it's not guaranteed, it's a possibility. That's to enlarge. And then when you, you hear the word, well, just, why don't you repeat after me? Say, bigger. Now repeat after me, Capacity. Don't you love that? I reckon capacity's got it all over bigger. Repeat after me, bigger. Capacity. Oh, I'm feeling that. Did you feel that, Alex? Feeling powerful. The word capacity, in my mind, actually embraces more heart than the word bigger. 
It seems, seems a little clinical in my thinking, but capacity holds it. And then I thought of that. I thought, I wonder what really the word capacity is all about. So I looked that up in the, in the dictionary again, and, and it's quite interesting to see that in the open dictionary it says this. A definition of capacity, the ability to carry, to hold, to hold with the correctness of attitude in the doing. Wow. You see, getting bigger is not necessarily about doing more. Because when we hear a large stretch, we all think more work, more work. I'm not saying that to do any, to increase. Sometimes you do have to do more work. But it's more of the attitude in your doing which will determine the outcome than the actual activity itself. It's the power of attitude. And, and when we hear the word attitude, where do we go? We go, oh, yeah, I've been hearing that all year, Pastor Ward's been preaching. Got to get your attitude right. You've got to forgive this person. You've got to get... I mean, how often do you hear that? Every message just about. I wonder why, because I know between the, from one Sunday to the next, my attitude can get screwed up pretty quickly. People really tick me off. If there was no one in the world, I'd have a pretty clean week. But there's people. There's people in the world. It's incredible. They just get in the way and create all this stuff. And you're going to manage it. But there is a way through. How's that? Capacity. I have chosen to be a person who carries capacity. And capacity is more about the attitude I carry. You know, Jesus spoke about to us constantly said, you need to be forgiving, you need to embrace, you know, peace, you need to, he spoke about these words. And I, you know, I, in pulling this message together, I thought, well, oh, they're the words in which Jesus spoke about, and, and again, you know, understanding that, again, our attitude is more important sometimes in allowing our, our life to carry more, to embrace more, to allow God's goodness and abundance to, abundance to fall into our life. But the fact is that how do I allow that to happen. Well, I've got to keep working on my attitude. So I looked at that and Jesus' words to us was that he, he, he outworked, he spoke to us about keeping forgiveness as a central part of our life and embracing peace as the, the foundation of it, the way we walk forward, all of these wonderful aspects of attitude. But then I thought, Jesus spoke to us about many things, but I wonder what he outworked personally in his own life. Not what words he spoke about, but what actions he applied. You see, an attitude is a thought. It's lodged in the heart. It has a thought, but it has an outworking of life. You see, it's not just something you hold. It's something, you know, when someone ticks you off. You know, Alex ticks me off, does regularly. But it's great. It's good for me. I mean, I need Alex. <laughs> not at all. But if Alex ticked me off, it's like, <clears throat> how do I react? Oh, hey, man, how are you? No, I usually go, mm. There's a behavior of avoidance. He's, the, he's irritated. He's done something. There's that every time he speaks, I go, mm, I think for everything negative about him. You see, in all of that place, attitude is not just a thought or something lodged in the heart. It becomes a behavior in that which we outwork in our life. And the reality is that it causes us to become smaller, not bigger people. Bigness is on the basis that we are able to carry more, see more, embrace more, and again, allow the forgiveness. And all of those wonderful words spoken about, but in there, I went back and I thought, I wonder what was the attitude Jesus outworked. Come with me right now to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And I've always loved this, and this is from the NIV translation. So it says this, 
your attitude, your attitude should be, I love the should be because that says to me, well, doesn't necessarily mean that it is, but it should be. It's not necessarily now. It was. It slipped away a little bit and I need to put it back into its rightful place. Should be. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, you know what a therefore is there for? Therefore is a consequence of what took place. The action produced the fruit. What was the fruit of Jesus outworking, not talking about, but living? What actions did he live by? What actions which were the outworking of his attitude he chose to embrace to outwork in his life? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. What is that exalted? Again, you see, in life, we can be dwarfed because of circumstance. We can lose sight of the possibilities. Why? Because, again, just circumstances, we start to get compressed down because of life and stuff. And when you're down here, you can't see and too far. But when you're elevated or exalted, you see well beyond the problem before you. You see, if you embrace the attitudes of Christ, not by word but by life, you'll see further and above and beyond the immediate problems in which you live. The second thing it says that it gave him a name. What is the name? I could spend a whole lot of time on this, but he gave him the name above every other name. You see, Abraham, remember it was Abram, but then when God breathed into him, gave him a power of new life, a vision of, of, of potential, it was the the huh came out, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, theologians in the front row, I better be right, but the huh was the breath of God. What was breathed into Adam? It was the Sounds like I've been smoking a little bit too much. Sorry, I've given up them a long time ago. But in that thing, he breathed that life. You see, when we carry the correctness of attitude, not just in mind and heart, but in life, I believe that breath can come into us. Isn't it interesting that how he formed, he, it says, and God formed Adam from the earth. He formed, he, he formed us perfectly, knowing exactly how we should be and all the rest of it. But you see, Adam didn't stand because God formed him. Adam stood because the breath came into him. And I believe a lot of Christians have lost the life because their attitude of lifestyle, not by word or heart, but by lifestyle, has actually allowed that breath to come in. How does God breathe into Adam? He doesn't go through the mouth. Why? Too much opposition. It says, and God breathed into Adam through his nostrils. Why? There's nothing to stand in the way of getting the breath in. When your attitude is right, the breath can come in to fill your lungs to cause you to stand up. Sometimes our tongue stands in the way of receiving the breath. And then finally it says, and every knee will bow down. Let me tell you, when you get your heart and your attitudes right, everything begins to bow down in your life. Why? Because the problem is not a problem. It's just an opportunity for God to move, for His goodness and His abundance to flow into our life. So what are these things? Well, like I've said to them, I've read them out to you before. It starts off in verse 7, which I'll come back to in just a moment. It says, like in the very nature of a servant, he outworks servanthood in his life. 
He washes the feet of the feet of the disciples. It was the lowest of the low of the low of the low of the low. If you're a servant in the house in Jewish culture, I mean, who was the guy who was kicked around at the bottom, the lowest of form and in the house? It was the guy who washed the feet. Jesus showed his disciples, and I love Peter. Peter's just such a classic. Lord, no, you will not be doing that with me. Oh no, are you, you no, Lord. Jesus said, well, if I do not wash your feet, you cannot be part of me. Oh, wash my feet and my whole body too. This guy's all over the place. He's an emotional roller coaster. I love that. But that's a reality of how God uses a variety of people, which I think is fantastic. But in that servant of Jesus, didn't talk about it. He worked it out. He lived it out. He acted it out. He embraced the attitude through his action of serving. The second thing he spoke about there it's talked about again. He, he humbled himself. What's that about? He considered other people more important than himself. Very simple. It's not all about you. It's simply those sort of people who talk about them all, themselves all the time. They're not really interested in anyone else. They may say they are, but they're not because the outworking of it is that they, they're through their action and their words, are just preoccupied with self. Jesus saw other people more important than themselves. How did he do that? Uh, he went to the cross. Hello. Knock, knock. He went to the cross for you. He didn't have to. If I was God, I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't want to. If I would have rejected, God, God seems to have gone, crucified, beaten up. No, no. I would have found a different way. Wipe them all out. Let's start again. That's my theory. That's my process. You wouldn't want me to be the Messiah. I'm not a very good one. But Jesus considered other people more important than himself. The last thing it says, obedient, obedient to death. I love that. Just doing what you're told to do and stop. When someone you've said, look, just talk to me. Tell me if you see something in my life. You give them permission, but as soon as they say something tough, I don't want to hear you. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? What do you reckon? No, just flip and do it. Be a Nike convert. Just do it. My point, and I close with this point, which I believe is the most important part, the foundation of being able to actually not just talk about, but to outwork in your life. You need to be a servant. You need to be obedient and, and start to, when you give people power over your life, say, yes, speak into my life. Do what they say consider other people more important than yourself but I come back to that first scripture which I think it's a, a cracker of a scripture a cracker it says there and I love this who being in the very nature of God what's that about did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and I thought what is that all about what was the attitude Jesus outworked that's the first noted that is the first one identified in his behavior and I looked at it and I thought, man, what is that? And literally it was this. My thought came to this. As I went in and researched all this, it says here, Jesus embraced the attitude of contentment. Contentment. And people go, oh, that's a really nice attitude. You see, contentment is not an inactive word. It's a very active word. It's a choice. It's a choice. The definition of contentment is biblically an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. What about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13? This is Paul, the great apostle. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Don't you love that? I have learned the secret. You know, secrets are interesting because the secret is not, not many people know Secrets are things only a few know. Why is that? 
I believe Paul discovered something which most people had disregarded because it was so simple and it was a truth which is a kingdom truth that we have lost sight of. The contentment is a kingdom principle. It's not something that we, you know, extrapolate and all the rest of it. It's like some people are like, well, forget about that. I want to know what the pomegranates on the robes of the priest is all about. I don't care. You may want to know. I'm not interested. They're just pomegranates. Rip them off and kick them around. You've got a little soccer ball. I don't know. The fact is contentment is more interesting to me than pomegranates. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, whether living in plenty or in want. I love this. Here it is. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You see, we preach verse 13. Beautiful. You know, I can do everything. But how can you? What precedes having that ability to, uh, to apply, I, 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 I can. No way. Yes, you can. I can do everything. You can do everything. There's nothing restricting you through Him who gives you strength. But I don't believe if you don't have the strength, number one, you can't do it. But if you're not open enough to allow God to pour in that strength, you don't have the strength enough to do everything. It's very simple. What is the truth before it? Contentment. What about this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6? The clock has stopped and so should I. 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We talk about godliness all the time. Important part of our life. Outworking a godly, righteous life. With contentment is great gain. You see, a lot of us, a lot of the times, is that we have the godliness, but we don't get the contentment. You see, one on one brings the addition of two. One on its own remains as one. You see, godliness and contentment together improve the power and the ability to be outpoured not of God's restrictive hand no his hand is always pouring but allows us to become a bigger people what about this final thought you know I've always loved you know Paul spent 14 years working all this out spent a number of years in the wilderness trying to get this he found this secret this truth I would love you to get that truth I'd love you to hold that truth today there's a contentment it's not just a word in which we are oh, content. It's a decision we make. Jesus himself, he was able to go through the most challenging moments of his life. Why? Because for 30 years, he was being groomed in understanding his position, who he was. He was being groomed in understanding for 30 years of who he was, but also in those moments, the things which had actually add to his life to give him the strength that he could do everything that he was called to do. 30 years, being content. He lived in obscurity. I've said this, the world measures when people stand in the spotlight. God measures when they're in the shadows of obscurity. You see, you may be, sometimes we think it's all about this person. No, it's about all of us collectively as a church the power of contentment when the church chooses to say it's, I have a problem but you know what it's going to be okay my word Greg French's interpretation of scripture is simply this I'm okay everything's okay that's how I interpret contentment I'm okay irrespective of the challenges that I face Jesus goes through incredible challenges what about 
What about Andrew? Oh, you mean Andrew works in the PA out the back? No, 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 I'm not talking about Andrew who works in the church here. I'm talking about Andrew the Apostle. Oh, oh, who was he? To me, he's one of the heroes of the Bible. First chosen. Read John. He was the first one of the disciples when following John the Baptist. Following John the Baptist, and it known, you follow it through Scripture, is that John says, I must decrease, that he must increase. Andrew was one of those disciples. The other disciple we don't know, but one of them we do know was Andrew. Andrew follows, first called. But guess what? He lived in fourth place. You see, we always think about getting to the top and losing sight of our value, being part of a greater team. You're part of a team. It's not always about this. It's about you holding the position of contentment. You see, Andrew lost. Like here he is there. The mountain experienced transfiguration. Jesus said, John. James, Peter, up the mountain, come on. Peter's like, but, 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 I was first. No, no, he goes, doesn't matter. I'm okay. We're okay. Jesus is called to go to heal Jairus' daughter. They walk along. As he walks, they walk along, they get to that place. Jesus enters the room with the parents, with Peter, John, and James. Andrew, standing, wanting door is closed in his face but he still goes I'm okay we're okay he's the true champion on my mind in the word of God as one of the disciples why you see contentment is one of the most powerful positions Andrew by the way Nathaniel brought him along he brought a number of people he influenced so many people Philip he influenced you see he didn't let his position get in the way of what he was called to do he was called to live in a position of contentment to bring the revelation of who Christ was and the power of that relationship. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Let's see the close of this year, not in a position of angst or hoping this year just hurries up and moves on and we move into the new year. Let's embrace this moment of a simple revelation, a secret which has been lost to so many that I'm okay. Why? Because I'm content. I found the secret here this morning to be content, irrespective of the challenges that I have faced. I'm okay. We're okay. Why? Because Jesus is with me. Lord, we become bigger people. The abundance and the goodness of the year, you crowned our year with goodness and abundance. Why? Because today we choose to embrace whether I have everything or I have nothing, whether everything is perfect or everything is challenging. I've chosen to become a bigger person, a person of capacity so that your goodness and abundance shall be poured into my life in Jesus' name. But with every eye closed, I want to ask you this. If you've never given your life to Christ, you may have said, yeah, Greg, I've never made that decision to ask Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I'd love you to do that this morning. Why? Because he is the one who brings that contentment, that power, irrespective of your circumstance. Or maybe you have. And for whatever reason, you've stepped away. I want you to make a decision to say, Greg, I'm coming back. I need to find that relationship again. So if that is you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. And by raising your hand, you are not raising your hand to me. You're raising your hand to him. So if you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you have and you've stepped away, I want you to lift up your hand right now. Just lift your hand up really high and say, Greg, that is me. I just want to reconnect the way I should with the Lord 
here this morning. Anybody at all, just raise your hand. I don't want to delay this, but I give you that opportunity. This church will week in and week out offer that point of invitation because it is the invitation to everyone's future and their destiny. Can we all stand?